Welcome to the Bovine Banter with the Penn State Extension Dairy Team. My name is Adrian Barragan, and I am an extension veterinarian and assistant clinical professor within the Department of Veterinary and Biomedical Sciences at Penn State. I would like to welcome Kerry Williams, who is a food program specialist for the milk program with the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture. She's joining us today to discuss considerations and regulations for value-added dairy businesses. Thank you for joining us today, Kerry. Could you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what is encompassed by the milk program within the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture? Yes, thank you for having me on the podcast, Dr. Berrigan. I am Carrie Williams, and as you said, I'm the milk program specialist or one of the milk program specialists for the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture. Um, my job is to basically oversee the entire state's regulatory program. Um, and make sure that everything's maintaining st certain standards. So the milk program actually regulates the production and processing of milk, milk products, and manufactured milk products. These products include raw milk products, such as fluid milk and aged cheeses, and pasteurized products like fluid milks, yogurt, cottage cheese, butter, pasteurized cheeses, buttermilk, kefir, sour cream, and such products like that. Oh, thank you for the information. Really interesting. When your office is contacted by someone looking to start a value added their businesses, where do you tell them that they need to start? For any new production business, the PDA staff tells them they need to look at our state regulations, which is called Chapter 59A, for the products they intend to produce. These regulations contain facility requirements as well as equipment requirements. Since we have adopted the pasteurized milk ordinance from FDA and the USDA specifications for dairy plants into our state regulations, we also appoint individuals to review information in these documents. I would also suggest they look into Dairy Practice Council guidelines. Uh, the Dairy Practice Council is a third-party organization that makes informative handouts for industry on a variety of dairy production topics. Definitely a lot of uh, sources of information that are great for our listeners. Um, so at what point in their exploration of this potential business venture should someone contact the Department of Agriculture? We actually prefer to be involved from basically the beginning of your process. Um, we like to be involved in the discussions of the business prior to any equipment purchases or construction, just to make sure there are no issues that will pop up once the business is ready for production. The more complicated pieces of equipment, such as like pasteurizers, homogenizers, separators, filling machines, and things like that all need to be reviewed by our department prior to use. Um, these pieces are the most financially cumbersome portion of a facility's startup costs, so we need to make sure that they are manufactured with the correct multi-use materials and have cleanable surfaces or else they legally can't be utilized. Oh, that's great to know. Can you tell us about the types of permits that apply to the dairy processing industry in Pennsylvania? and which may apply to an on-farm processor? So we have a few different types of permits that um, they can apply for, um, and it's all kind of housed under one application, but um, we have a raw milk permit, which is um, to, so that people can offer raw milk to the consumers. We have a manufacturer grade permit, which covers the production of raw aged cheeses, pasteurized cheeses, butter, dried milk products, and ice cream for wholesale. Um, we have a non-grade A processing permit for bottling fluid milk products for the sale uh, within Pennsylvania. 
And then we have a grade A dairy processing permit, which is similar to the non-grade A permit uh, for bottling fluid milks, but this allows you to sell the products across state lines. And then finally, we have the distributor permit, which uh, is for the people that like to sell products that they have manufactured at other places. On those lines, uh, the grade A pasteurized milk ordinance, or PMO, uh, has a tremendous amount of information. Can you give our listeners an overview of the type of information that is found in that document and how they might use this information as they look to start their businesses? Sure. The PMO is broken down into several sections in the first half of the document. The two main sections are the standard requirements for sanitation on a dairy farm and the standard requirements for sanitation on a dairy plant. The appendices that follow that take up the rest of the book containing deeper information related to construction standards, protocols, and procedures related to the sanitation standards that the front half of the book had. So a follow-up question on that. Um, how does someone access to these uh, PMO documents? The PMO can be accessed online through the NCIMS website. NCIMS stands for the National Conference for Interstate Milk Shippers. If you Google FDA PMO, the top links will take you right to the document. Unfortunately, FDA does not print a large volume of this ordinance anymore, and I'm not sure if there's a way to write in for a printed copy of that. Do you have any observation or guidance for those wanting to purchase use processing equipment? Uh, be, be very careful when you're reviewing equipments for purchase, whether it's new or a used piece of equipment. Some of these pieces are not constructed for use in a manufacturing facility and are not built with the same sanitation standards in mind. Additionally, some pieces are built for use in Europe, which actually has separate standards for some production equipment than the U.S. does. If purchased for use here without approval, they usually end up costing even more money in order to retrofit them to our standards. One of the things we, the inspectors, um, ask when we're reviewing equipment is, is, is if this piece has ever gone through a third-party certification organization, such, a, such as 3A or AMDERC, which is an acronym, A-M-D-E-R-C. It's always nice to see when we find these pieces that have gone through those certification processes because it shortens the amount of time that we need to do any research on, into the equipment. Oh, that's great information to, to be aware of, especially when they're trying to save some money and actually they might end up in a higher uh, expenses because of the lack of knowledge of these uh, requirements. Are there products or categories of dairy products that are not permitted for sale in Pennsylvania? Where can processors find information on products standards and identification? Right now, the only products that can legally be sold under the raw milk permit are raw fluid milks. Additional items such as raw milk yogurts, kefir, cream such as heavy whipping cream or light cream, butter, and ghee cannot legally be sold without being pasteurized. In order to find them, um, generally a good place that we look for is online for the standards. Uh, we use the Code of Federal Regulations, which is called the CFR standards for short, to determine how these products can be made. Most of the products will have their own CFR category or they will fit into a broader category on that list. Interesting. Carrie, can you explain the laboratory testing requirement that an on-farm processor is required to follow? Sure. Uh, for on-farm processing, there are monthly requirements for most finished products. The specific tests required vary based on the product. These can be reviewed in Chapter 59A, as well as with the regional inspector that inspects your facility. 
A water supply testing uh, has to be accomplished as well on a biennial basis. The finished product and water testing must be run through a third-party laboratory. During the starting startup process, the regional inspector will discuss the testing needs with the processor and give suggestions of PDA-approved laboratories in that area. It is up to the processor to set up the testing agreement with the third-party laboratory. For any processors interested in utilizing returnable glass bottles in lieu of plastic, there are also monthly testing requirements for the bottles to ensure they are getting properly cleaned. In addition to finished product tests, we require processors to test each batch of raw milk used for the presence of beta-lactam antibiotics. This testing helps ensure an antibiotic-free product for the consumers. Because of the frequency of this testing, which usually ends up being every day of production, some processors seek approval to run their own screening equipment through the department's laboratory services branch. But some processes are close enough to an already established screening facility where these tests can be run. The decision to do one or the other is solely based on what is best for the individual processor's needs. However, it is important to note that the testing equipment can be quite expensive. So most processors will start up using an outside laboratory and add their own testing equipment down the road. That's really interesting. I, I didn't know there was these many uh, steps uh, along this way and so many uh, things that gotta be sure that they, they get uh, tested on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Are there certifications or licenses such as those for food safety that a value added dairy processor needs to have in Pennsylvania? We don't currently require any certifications or special degrees for processors. Uh, the Food Safety Modernization Act, otherwise known as FSMA or FSMA, does require each production facility have a food safety plan and a preventive controls qualified individual, uh, which is also known as a PCQI, to maintain that program. One of the avenues to obtain the PCQI credentials is to attend an approved course and then receive a certificate. This is highly suggested even for those with experience in the dairy industry. Also, if the processor wants to claim something about the product being organic or grass-fed or some other standard on their label, we require them to show proof of certification for that claim. If no certification exists, an affidavit must be submitted. Are there other uh, sources of information such as agencies, organizations, or associations that you would suggest for additional guidance on starting a value-added dairy business? Penn State University, the main campus, does offer several in-depth courses throughout the year on value-added products, which are always recommended. Additionally, I recommend reviewing the resources available through the Dairy Practice Council guidelines and the other organizations such as the International Dairy Foods Association. In Pennsylvania specifically, we do have a Pennsylvania Association of Milk, Food, and Environmental Sanitarians group, otherwise known as PAMPUS for short. Um, and processors should look into getting involved in this group as it's a good way to meet and discuss ideas with other like-minded individuals. Great, great information. Thanks again, Kerry. This is, is really useful information for our listeners. So to wrap up this uh, uh, podcast, I have one last question for you. Is there anything else that you would like for producers who are considering a value-added dairy business to know about before starting? Yes, uh, there have been some additional questions lately on the shipping of products to consumers. While our regulations do cover the specific materials and containers that come into contact with the products, P uh, PDA does not get too involved in the additional packaging requirements for shipping products long distances. Our bigger worry would be where the product was going. If the products are being shipped across state lines, we have to look at your permits and make sure you are set up appropriately. 
Most fluid products cannot be shipped across state lines without being inspected and packaged as a grade eight product. Great information. Again, thanks for those last uh, comments for our listeners. Thanks again, Carrie, for taking the time to talk with us today. And thank to all our listeners. Please stay tuned for the release of season eight of The Buying Banter in January 2022.